Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you, June 17th, 2021. Welcome to the show. I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. Didn't have a show yesterday. Had had to go to the state of Michigan and uh, take care of some business. Uh, Did not get on J.B. and Goldwater. Of course, J.B. and Goldwater was off this week, so I I may go on on Friday. So uh, listen in and check that out if you want. I don't know. haven't confirmed that yet, but uh, uh, the rare Wednesday off for yours truly. Wednesdays are usually packed with uh, media and and lots of things like that. South Carolina recruiting in football rolls on uh, with camps, offensive linemen, defensive linemen camp seven on seven today. Got started. Hale McGranahan is all over it. He's on site with a live update thread for members on the Big Spur. So check that out if you want the immediate scoop. From these things, lots of talented guys on campus, class of 2022, 2023, and a few 2024s have been uh, sort of spread in there. Uh, so that's uh, that's a big thing. It's been a big time uh, so far for the Gamecocks. Um, as far as recruiting goes, uh, I think that some of the response they've gotten has even surprised the coaching staff based on what I've heard. So that's good. That's good. And this is a confident, confident bunch. So – We'll see sort of what happens. Uh want to say one thing quickly about Shane Beamer, the head coach of the Gamecocks. Uh, the Trey Adkins Scholarship Award the other day was, was outstanding with how they packaged it and promoted it. And most importantly, Trey Adkins deserves a scholarship. I, I think that when you look at him, uh, when he's gotten a chance to play on the field, he's been productive. Uh, and, and he's a hard worker and – uh, Shane said something in the video about him delivering pizzas to pay for tuition. Uh, I've lived that life before. That's tough. Uh, I didn't deliver pizzas, but delivered food. Uh, and so I uh, I applaud him. And I think that when you see sort of the packaging of it and the way they released it, uh, that that really is a testament to the, the social media team or the the new media team, if you will. Uh, and that part of South Carolina's programs really come a long way. Uh, I think it, it, it advanced under Muschamp, uh, and now <clears throat> I think it's uh, really next level with, with some of the themes and, and, and different themes and things like that. So uh, congratulations there. I, does that win games? I don't know. I think it helps recruiting uh, and all that good stuff. But it gets the attentions of players, players – get interested over social media. Then they develop, uh, you know, make a visit and develop more interest. And that's kind of how it goes. So um, cats off to those guys for uh, understanding it and getting it. And and that part of the program is really, 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 really rolling right now. And so I just wanted to give a shout out there. Interesting story uh, from Yahoo sports illustrated, Name your uh, at the athletic. Name your national college football coverage team um, with Arizona State, and this is this is this is relevant to the Gamecocks because guys like Anthony Rose, uh, who committed and then decommitted, 
Uh, Arizona State was really pushing uh, for those guys. Alfonso Allen, his teammate, is committed to the Sun Devils. Uh, and that had something to do with, I guess, the the D commit, maybe not. But uh, Carolina certainly would like to get Rose back in the fold. And uh, so the, the story broke, and George Reitster, uh, who has, a, I guess, a podcast or a show out on the West Coast, played in Oregon, you know, hinted about this. He said, there's a big deal. We'll change the balance of power out West. And immediately people start thinking about Oregon and Southern Cal and all that. Uh, but it's Arizona state. And if you notice, uh, and I don't know that many of you follow PAC 12 recruiting, but Arizona state's been doing a good job getting players and rightfully so. If you've ever been out there, you know, they always call that program a sleeping giant and there's reasons for it. You know, they get good fan support. They're right there in Phoenix. Uh, Sun Devil Stadium's a historic stadium. They've been great before at times through their history. Uh, you can recruit there. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Academic standards are, uh, let's just say they're not Stanford or Cal. <laughs> you know, so you could get guys in. Uh, it's a gold mine for the right coach. And the Todd Graham had it going well. Then the Herm Edwards experiment so far has been so good for them and the recruiting is uh picked up they have a national approach well we found out there's a reason for that uh apparently allegedly and i'll say allegedly because this is just based on the news and the reports they were blatantly sneaking guys in uh to make visits during covid and you know like say what you want about the rules and about um, you know, was it fair of the NCAA to make kids not visit and still have to make a decision? Uh, does the NCAA understand recruiting? Uh, you know, those are all debates we can have, and I've had them. And I personally think that they, you know, don't like anything concerned with recruiting because they can't monetize it. And some people can, yours truly, <laughs> uh, you know, made money doing it. And, um, I think that they, they get pissed off about that a little bit. And so they try to poo-poo on the process and it hurts players. Uh, and and that, so that's my opinion on those rules. I mean, that they should have made some exceptions. Uh, they should have had some policies in place where kids could still visit. I think it's going to lead to, you know, given the time we're in a very pregnant, I guess would be the right term to, to describe it transfer portal here in a couple of years because so many guys sign sight unseen. And as I've said many times, I mean, you know, it's like getting married off of a dating app when, um, <laughs> when, uh, you know, you hadn't met the person in person and, and that's important. You know, that's a very important part of it. And I think we're also seeing it as regards to Carolina recruiting, you know, when you look at it that way, when kids have been able to visit, it's a different story. You know, that they, they kind of it's kind of a positive thing, very positive thing for South Carolina, um, because players kind of find out, hey, look, we've got you know, got this great facility. This is a big stadium. This is a big time program. You know, when basically they you know, if you, they were watching on TV last year, nobody had a crowd. You know, they didn't talk about the facility. You know, Gamecocks were getting in some games, their brains beat in, you know, it, it just uh it wasn't as attractive as maybe seeing it in person. So, so I get all that with, um, you know, and I think that's a debate to have whether the rules were fair and I think they're unfair, et cetera, et cetera. But 
by and large, you know, and, and I've, you, you hear things from people around college football. Uh, if a team is kind of violating those rules, you would hear it. I would hear something, maybe not, but uh, cause I didn't hear about Arizona state, but you know, I, I believe that by and large, every program in the country followed those rules uh, with ASU maybe being an exception. Uh, you know, I, there weren't uh, coaches were mad about it. They thought it was unfair, but nobody was blatantly violating the rules. So uh, among the rules violations were people going to Herm Edwards office to meet with him, uh, sneaking him up the back stairs. Uh, and then the most egregious one was they, they worked out a player at a park near campus and um, and evaluated that film for an offer, you know, in a staff meeting. So the, I mean, there were some egregious violations of it. Uh, and, and look, we can also uh, and so, some of the reaction on the Big Spur today was, well, they're 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 going to go after Arizona State because they're not a blue blood or whatever. Uh, and, and I think that's also different. I, I think that's a different argument to be had. I think the bottom line here is that in this situation. Most programs all, you know, follow the rules during COVID. I, I, I just, I don't think that, you know, I have no reason to believe that, you know, there's no paper trail or anything like that. So, you know, you look at it and then you start reading about their assistant head coach, Antonio Pierce, and his, you know, purging of the staff. I do know that one staff member uh, from out there, uh, Florida State was nice enough to invite him and the Arizona State staff to their camp so they could evaluate in person. Uh, and he puts up a, a, a Instagram story trashing the weather down there about how humid it was, uh, you know, which was classless in my opinion. If, if you're a, a coach that's, I mean, you know, nice, they're nice enough to let you come and, and, and evaluate, and then you're going to try and put something like that out, uh, you know, Tallahassee, Florida, while you're there. Um, you know, that that's just not cool at all. So car, there's a little bit of karma there. So how it affects the Gamecocks, like I said, Anthony Rose and maybe Alfonso Allen too. You know, Carolina's been interested in those guys. You know, maybe it ends up taking the Sun Devils out of the equation, kind of depending on uh, the exact, I guess, uh, the exact facts of the situation that are out there. Uh, and it may bring the whole Herm Edwards thing down. I mean – you know, because everybody else had to follow these rules, you know, it's very egregious to, to have a school out there that just spit in the face of it. And David Shaw, the coach at Stanford, said as much today uh, in an article on Yahoo. So uh, I think that's really interesting. Uh, you know, the, I, I don't know that it changes the balance of power in, out west in the Pac-12 because Arizona State just wasn't there yet. Uh, but what I do think it does is, you know, some of the recruiting battles they were winning, they're probably going to stop winning. Uh, and then that's more players for everybody else. And because they recruit nationally, they do, you know, run into the Gamecocks every now and then, as is the case with Anthony Rose. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, too. I mean, I, I look, and I'll, I'll transition to this. The defensive backs board at Carolina is getting tight. You know, they they have – uh, a guy already committed in Banks. You have Javante McClendon committed. You know, you, you look at Nick Imarare, uh I think I'm saying that right, from Irmo. Uh, he's kind of a big nickel linebacker type, more of an athlete. 
Uh, and then you got a list of guys that are making official visits that the Carolina's in on. One guy that's not, Diarco Perkins McAllister out of Nashville, said he's rescheduling his official visits until the season. So I don't know, you know, by the time he, you know, runs around, comes back around to maybe want to visit South Carolina, they may be full in the secondary. Really good player, though. I had a crystal ball in him for Tennessee because I think at the end of the day when Tennessee's new staff gets settled and all that, I think I think the Vols will end up getting him, although right now he's probably a lean out of state. So uh, that's one you can cross off the official visits list. Addison Copeland, the wide receiver from Buffalo, New York, committed to Pitt, so I don't think he's going to be visiting officially. Um, you know, South Carolina, they liked him. Uh, I think they probably would have still taken his commitment if he'd have come to campus and enjoyed it and checked out. But they, he wasn't the top guy on the board. He wasn't like, you know, Antonio Williams or Jaden Gibson or C.J. Smith uh, or even Kylie Horton, any of the guys like that that were priority guys. Uh, of course, they need help at wide receivers. So, you know, that's the deal there. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, hey, you know, we're not interested anymore. You know, from what I was told – you know, Addison himself was a little iffy about going that far from home. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's kind of, um, you know, that that's kind of what happened there. And, and so he's a guy that you can cross off as well. Uh, still good to kind of go get involved with players up that way. Pete Limbo, uh, of course, Carolina's in on some guys from Pennsylvania. I mean, it's been – it's been a pretty good run in the Northeast. And uh, I think Carolina will end up with some players uh, from up there. Ryan Brubaker, the offensive lineman, would would be the starting point for that. Abdul Abdul Carter, the edge guy from Philadelphia, I think's good. Obviously, we talked about Josiah Trotter, the 2023 linebacker that's got a brother at Clemson, Jeremiah Trotter's son. South Carolina's now in the top four after a very good unofficial visit. So, you know, South Carolina uh, keeps trucking on and you've got a lot of unofficial visitors on campus right now. Uh, and then you got an official visit weekend that starts again. Now, there's some question to Quan Fagans is the only official visitor that's uh, scheduled. There, there's some talk that perhaps his visit will be moved to next weekend. So we'll see what happens there uh, with Fagans. And all that, the uh, defensive back out of Oxford, Alabama, big, highly rated guy, four stars. Not sure exactly, you know, if he stays there or not. There's some question. I mean, I, I still think he's a hell of a prospect, though, in South Carolina. Uh, is very interested in him. Like I said, though, the defensive back's numbers are going to get tight here pretty soon if the guys that they are supposed to get end up coming Carolina's way. Interesting tweet from Jay Phillips. You guys know Jay, 107.5, the game uh, out of Columbia. And, and this is a good question. And I, I, and I, have, um, I have some answers for it. <laughs> uh, and, and the question is, would you rather have, you know, the SEC now go to a three permanent opponent, five rotating opponent, pod format rather than divisions? Um. And, and there's two sides of this. The, the, the first side is, well, it'll be better for fans as far as road trips go because you're, you're not going to have to wait 10 years to go to Oxford or Tuscaloosa or Auburn or 
Starkville or Baton Rouge, you know, all the rotating teams. And as it stands now with kind of the snake format, that that's how it is. Um, I will say that if you're South Carolina, that there's no way, no way you want that. No way you want that. Uh, and, and I'll say that because, because when you're building a program, um, you always kind of want the path of least resistance. And that's why, you know, you look at Florida State. Why didn't they join the SEC back in 92? That's why. Uh, I mentioned the Bowdens, you know, about that they like the path of least resistance. That's why Tommy Bowden never took Alabama and stayed at Clemson. Um, that's why in a lot of ways Clemson is a better job than most of the SEC programs because it's an SEC, it's basically structured like an SEC program, fan support, facilities, all that, but you don't, you know, you don't have to go worry about getting upset by Ole Miss when you're playing Duke or Wake Forest, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, and right now, if you look at it, if you're South Carolina, you, you know, you talk about, you know, realistically, you know, who are you better than? Well, you're not set up to be better or who are you set up to be better at? And that, that, that's the question there. You're not set up to be better than Texas A&M or LSU. You know, those two schools, you know, A&M is in Texas where there's tons of talent. LSU is the only school in Louisiana. Uh, You know, arguably you're not even set up as good as Arkansas because they don't have to sell, they don't have to share their state. But, you know, South state of South Carolina probably puts out, you know, 20 to 25 FBS level guys a year, power five, you know, 20, close to 20 power five, I would guess on average. Uh, and then Arkansas is probably in t- around 10. So it is different. Uh, so I, I think that would be debatable. Um, the big difference is Arkansas plays in the in the West here right now. Uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you're probably on par with those teams. But but Auburn, you know, typically historically has recruited better than you. You, you could probably get to that level. Uh, and then, of course, there's Alabama. But, you know, you, you don't want to situate, you know, the – if you're in the East right now, you do have to contend with Georgia, who, who's on another level really than anybody else at this point. You know, Dan Mullen at Florida, they're always going to win. But other than that, you know, you have Tennessee and chaos, and then it's Missouri, Kentucky, and, and Vanderbilt. And I know the Gamecocks have struggled with Kentucky lately, and Missouri for that matter. Um, but this is a downward dip, you know, when, when Carolina's up, you know, they uh, – and not even up towards 11 wins, up towards, you know, the seven or eight wins. They, uh, you know, they take care of business against those teams. I mean, those are four games every year within your division that you should win most of the time right now. And that's until Tennessee comes back if they ever did. Um, so, you know, I do I think it's a positive, you know, as you're building – uh, to say, all right, well, you know, you're not going to have to play those guys anymore. You know, you're basically, you know, your three permanent teams, my guess, would be Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida, <laughs> which is, you know, not ideal. And then you got five rotating. So some years it may be this, some years it may be that. I, and then, you know, you don't have the divisions. So getting to Atlanta, you're going to have to finish like they do in the Big 12, second place in the standing. So even that, Access is tough because I think you're probably looking at two West teams in Atlanta every year. Uh, And so I am not in favor of that from a South Carolina perspective. 
Uh, from a fan's perspective, heck yeah, that would be a lot better than what they do now. I, my, my guess is this. I think they need to adjust the rotation a little bit. Um, I think they probably need to go back to how it used to be where, you know, you're not necessarily snaking through. You know, in other words, one year you play this team, one year you play that team, one year you play this team, and that was, you know, you kind of go through over a seven-year period uh, or six-year period. Uh, I think that um, how it used to be was, you know, you in other words, like this coming year, South Carolina plays Auburn and, and throw out 2020 because that was a revised schedule. So uh, like this year, South Carolina plays Auburn at home. And so then in 2022, they would go to Auburn. And then the next year they play Arkansas at home, 2023, you know, you keep going, going, going. Um, and that's how it used to be. You'd go two year period and, uh, and then you, you you snake around a lot a lot better with road in terms of road trips because you, you'll have those road trips, you know, every six seven years as opposed to fourteen, <laughs> where you know you, you have got people that are born and they get to be teenagers or have a driver's license uh, before you go to Tuscaloosa again. So that's uh that's tough. So uh, I think that would be a better deal you know, for the Gamecocks than, you know, just scrapping the divisions because then you have how you're going to finish – how are you going to ever get to Atlanta? Of course, with the expanded playoff, you know, is getting to Atlanta as important? I don't know. I think that's a good question. Very good question. So we'll see what happens there. But an interesting, interesting tweet from Jay, uh, I think, and he raises a good point. Uh, do I? Do I, I don't know that there's going to be discussions about that on the SEC level, um, but I do know that that at least among the fans, that there is kind of, and not just fans of South Carolina, but some fans really wonder why in the hell, you know, we're playing. We don't play this team once, but every 15 years, or don't go to Starkville once, but every 15 years. Dan Mullen even brought that up one time. Um, and I think that, you know, more diversity in scheduling is something to be looked at. I just don't know that it's a pod a pod deal and doing away with the divisions. Uh, if you're South Carolina, I just don't think you want that. Uh, because I think then you're talking about having to go through five or six great programs as opposed to two. And uh, path of least resistance is always important in college football, I think. You know, there's no – as we've seen with Notre Dame making the playoff – you know, there's no points awarded uh, for, for you know, beating yourself up with a tough schedule. Uh, and that's probably going to change, you know, with the expanded playoff. And if you look down the road at some of the scheduling decisions like Georgia and Alabama have made, you know, they're banking on, hey, strength of schedule is going to go up. But if, that's the, if that ends up being the case, we get down the road with a 12-team playoff, you know, maybe maybe you're, you're more in favor of it, especially if South Carolina can build a good program and, start winning but i think right now uh you don't want to see that happening you you just don't want to you just don't want to see that happen (laughs) if you're south carolina uh switching gears to basketball a little bit frank barton reshuffles his staff also had a transfer out um you go uh you know you you go and, and and you look you know uh, with uh, Bruce Shingler leaving for Maryland, he went home. Big opportunity for him, Maryland in the Big Ten under Mark Turgeon. Uh, and then Frank Martin 
promotes Brian Steele to a full-time assistance position. Uh, he was the video coordinator. Then, and that's kind of a fancy way of saying extra staff member. I mean, I, you know, they, that's what they call it. Uh, he does more than that. Um, I know some people were critical of it and, oh, well, that's all he could get. Brian Steele, you know, and Brian was a, a walk-on player that busted his butt for the Gamecocks for a long time. Um, uh, went off, coached someplace else, came back. Uh, and, and look, I, I'll say this about Brian Steele as far as, you know, people trashing it. You never know. I, I don't. I don't know enough about him other than Frank Martin likes him uh, to say what kind of recruiter or coach he's going to be. But sometimes the it's guys like this that were the walk-ons that worked hard that you know took small assistant coaching jobs and things like that that end up being really good coaches. Will Wade, say what you want about Will Wade. I have my opinions about him, but he was a student manager at Clemson didn't even play and uh you know now he's winning basketball games now again we can debate all that but uh a lot of your good coaches were walk-ons they weren't the great players i mean you know that's kind of the the deal there so south carolina you know you, you don't know you know we may be sitting here in 10 years on eggshells wondering if the gamecocks can hire brian Steele away from somewhere else to return to his alma mater. Um, maybe not, but uh, I'd, I'd be careful about just trashing something, uh, blanket, trashing it in a blanket manner uh, before you see how it unfolds. You know, I, I think that's uh, that's pretty wise. Now, now I, again, do you, do you shoot off fireworks and have a celebration? No, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you don't know how this is going to end up working out. Uh, more news from Frank's program, Alonzo Frank. And I thought it would be Benson. I'll be honest. Uh, I, th- I thought that there were some signs there that a big man would leave. I uh, didn't expect it to be Frank, but it is. I thought it would be Javon Benson. But uh, he's gone, so that means in the portal. So that means Josh Gray, who was at LSU, who they loved out of high school and recruited uh, he's kind of in play to join the team and the program for next year. Um, from what Whittle reported the other day on the Big Spur, uh, he's a guy that's more suited for Frank Martin's style of play when it comes to big men, uh, rather than you know a guy that you know. I think I think I think I was explained was LSU where he signed out of high school. They like their big men to do motion and things like that. And I guess play more off the block, I guess. I'm not a basketball guy, so I'm trying to explain this as best I can. But Gray is the type that likes to post up, get down and dirty, which is what Frank Martin likes. Um, And they love him, so we'll see if he ends up indeed in the fold and and plays, you know, for the Gamecocks this year. Frank, uh, you know, served as – he missed all the last year with an ailment or whatever, didn't play a lot, but – Kind of serve his purpose, you know. I remember uh, in the 2019-2020 season against Georgia, he sort of saved the day with 22 points, had a big game. Was kind of in, uh, inconsistent, up and down. Had to work hard on conditioning. Um, you know, New Jersey kid, but uh, you got to wish him the best. Uh, I think he can go somewhere and play well. Uh, but uh, that's that's the move there. Uh, also, Gamecocks scheduled a home and home with Georgetown. So I was talking about. 
you know, how sometimes your great coaches aren't great players. Well, Georgetown has a coach that was Patrick Ewing uh, is their coach. They were the surprise Big East tournament champions last year. Uh, certainly Georgetown has a long history uh, of being great in basketball uh, from up there in D.C. It's a home and home. It's at the Colonial Life Arena, Colonial Center, Colonial Life Arena uh, in December of this year. I think it's the 5th. Uh, and then the Gamecocks go up to D.C. to play Georgetown the following season. So that's a good home and home. Uh, I think they've got one with Western Kentucky, too. You know, so the schedule starting to take place, take shape. You know, West Western Kentucky, Georgetown, Clemson will be on the schedule. And the Gamecocks will probably have to go to Clemson this year, uh, even though they had the home game last year, you know, just because of the rotation. Um and, you know, in football, Clemson's making a second straight trip to williams Bryce. So I would imagine the Gamecocks will be making a second straight trip to Little John uh, in, in basketball on the hardwood. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, you know, some some notes there with hoops starting to take shape uh, with the schedule and, and all that. Uh, good to see him. You know, Georgetown makes a lot of sense. You know, they've been playing George Washington a lot. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the Gamecocks recruit up in that area. Uh, lots of alumni, uh, and really a quality non-conference game. I, I don't know that this team needs to be overscheduled, but I, I do think it's, you know, you need to schedule some some good non-conference games and uh, games against Big East teams, especially one like Georgetown that had a good year last year. I think that makes a lot of sense. So we'll see sort of what happens there. All right. I want to talk to you about, before we get into it, because we have a lot of them today, uh, the I help consulting mailbag. Uh, and that's every day. I want you to really consider if you have a business, uh, you know, taking advantage uh, of what I help consulting has to offer. Uh, recently they saved a customer $48,000. That's not, uh, that's not chump change. And the average savings is more than $2,000 annually. Uh, when you take advantage of iHelp Consulting, uh, they can help. It's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. That's credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else that your money's going out the door with, with your business. They find you the most savings without sacrificing quality. Again, $48,000 is significant folks. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't have to pay them anything. You know, time is valuable, but it's probably worth your time uh, to give Daniel a call or a text. That's 843-372-5713, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? And folks, uh, I know a lot of you are business owners uh, or you have, you know, uh, a, an office where you conduct business out of. If you're an attorney and you have, you know, an office and you're paying folks, paralegals, secretaries, uh, whatever, you know, this is a chance for you to cut out some of the bottom line uh, without sacrificing quality. I, I know that's the, the scary thing about it. Uh, and I know that when I make decisions to cut cost, uh, the quality is the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, with the big spur or whatever. So 843-372-5713. Daniel at iHelp can help you a lot. That's iHelp Consulting. This is the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Two ways to get into the mailbag. First of all, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and you know you should uh, you should probably follow that Twitter account. That's got some good stuff on it. 
you know, we, we need more followers on that one. So uh, if you don't mind, go hit that follow button. That doesn't cost you anything. First one comes in from Bullheaded on the Twitter. Uh, and really, if you send a, a, message, uh, a question on Twitter, you know that it gets answered in that day's episode of the podcast if I retweet it from that account and just did that for Bullheaded. Hey, JC, which position group in football recruiting seems to always overperform their ranking? Just my opinion. But to me, offensive linemen always seem to outplay their ranking out of high school. Plus, the 23 in-state class looks loaded. Hope Beamer cashes out. Um, I was thinking about 2023 today, and I, I agree with you because, you know, 2022 is going to be a deeper class than we thought. There were a handful of known entities going in, uh, and then – you know, coming out of it, you know, you're going to have more than, um, than was expected. And, um, you know, 2023, you already have several, I mean, several known entities, guys that have already been ranked. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's shaping up to be good, you know, and people, because quarterbacks, I mean, it's, (laughs) there's a lot, you know, when you're talking about 2023, um, already, uh, Monroe Freeling and Devin Hyatt uh, are on the, the radar. Xavier McLeod, defensive tackle from Camden, who is on campus, I think, for the third time in the past two weeks today. Sumter has a defensive lineman, Montique Rames, who's supposed to be special. Marquis Anderson, the tackle from Dorman, is a four-star player uh, per uh, 24-7 sports. Jalen Rambert, a linebacker from Powdersville High School in Greenville uh, is a guy that's gotten some some play. Um, Apollo's Cook from River Bluff is a receiver that's on the radar. DJ Porter, receiver from Dorman. Carson Black, I mentioned the quarterback uh, from Nation Ford and Fort Mill. Raheem Jeter is a quarterback. You have the kid, I think, Overton from – I think his name last name's Overton. Um, forgive me for not remembering his name. Uh you know, the kid from South Florence, who's, who's the quarterback. Uh, and, and then more and more and more popping up every day. You know, Monroe Freeling got a Clemson offer when he camped. He's at South Carolina today. Uh, Montique Rames probably has, you know, Sumter's had a lot of defensive linemen lately. He's probably got the biggest upside. Uh, DJ Jackson, who the game guys have offered, who's in 2022 class, probably the most productive with Rames, the young guy, 6'6", 240. You know, can't coach that. So, there's a lot of players already on the radar for 2023 and more are going to pop up uh, as we move forward uh, in the state of South Carolina. So you're absolutely right about that. Uh, as far as position groups that overperform, um, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to agree with you on offensive linemen, uh, but I, I think they both over and underperform. Uh, I think that they, you know, a lot of times you'll look at the five-star offensive linemen uh, from a certain class and, and you go through them and you're like, well, you know, here's a guy that um, I guess lived up to his bill and was a first round guy. Uh, and then you have guys that, you know, you look at and you're like, oh, you know, they didn't do much. <laughs> and then the draft ends up being like a mixed bag. It's like a five star and then a whatever, you know, I mean, I'm looking. Cade Mays was the number three offensive tackle in the 2018 class, he's at Tennessee. He's probably going to be drafted, I think. William Barnes at North Carolina is in here. Uh, you know, you, you look through it. 
I don't see the kid from Northwestern listed who was the first rounder. I mean, maybe he was, he was a three-star guy. Uh, and it's because, uh, you know, you, you just don't know, you're kind of predicting biology and science and, uh, you know, an unpredictable future because you look at it and um, it's like, you know, you go and uh, you're trying to, you got a guy's 225 pounds, right? Junior year of high school, six, six. And um, he's got the frame. Well, sometimes he's going to be 290 pretty easy or 305. And he's probably going to pan out. Sometimes they can't put on the weight. Sometimes they have too much weight and they're six, eight, three, oh, five, or I'm sorry, I'm going to go six, five, three, six, four and a half, three, oh, five. And they get to be 340. So you got to slide them inside and they can't get the weight off and they can't move like they used to. And, you know, it, it's body types and it's so, you know, it's, it's such a projection kind of deal. Uh, and then, you know, you got to figure out, are they a guard? Are they a tackle? And, and that happens sometimes when you get to get to college, you're a tackle in high school, but, you, you know, you're not really suited to play that position. I mean, Eric Douglas, look at the difference between Eric Douglas when they had to slide him out to tackle in 2019 or when, whenever, uh, you know, and then he goes to center heading into 2020, clearly wins the job right away, holding all some other guys that had started who are all, also pretty good. But, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things where who knew that, you know, once he found a home, he was going to be that good. And Eric Douglas, quite frankly, could be drafted as a center. And, I mean, it just took a while for him to get good. I mean, uh, that's why, like, whenever, you know, Dylan Wanham started as a freshman or Ja'Kai Moore was out there or Jalen Nichols, no matter how much they struggled at times, just the fact that they're on the field makes a big difference because that means they're only going to get better and better and better. So, so that's the whole thing uh, with that. So I, I would agree with you on offensive line. I also think what we, what we see nowadays is when you look at the, this position is running back and running backs different in the sense that most of the guys that you think will, uh, you know, pan out who, who were great in high school, um, 80% of those do pan out. But then you also have guys that come out of nowhere like Kevin Harris uh, who end up playing really, really above what people thought. Uh, I've seen a lot of surprises at running back. And I always go back to Colorado back in the Dan Hawkins era. Uh, I'm watching them. And they had, they had pulled a big recruiting coup and gotten Darrell Scott, who was a five-star guy out of um, California. And a lot of times off-the-field issues will derail running backs as well. That's – something that's happened at South Carolina a long time ago, but it's something that's happened at South Carolina. Uh, And I'm watching this game and, you know, it was Colorado and somebody that they didn't have any business beating and they ended up beating them. Uh, They were the, I think they were in the big 12 at the time. So it was shoot, maybe Stanford or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly the team, but they ended up pulling the upset and Darrell Scott, I think, had six carries for 12 yards. We were all excited about seeing him. But another true freshman that they had plucked out of Ohio, I think they beat Bowling Green on him, 25 carries for like 150 yards. He's a little guy, uh, kind of A.J. Turner-looking guy. And, um, hey, you know, as time went on, Scott flamed out, and this guy did good. And so that's that's one example. But then you also have situations like, you know, Nick Chubb, 
and Sonny Michelle at Georgia, they obviously uh, panned out, you know, because they were five-star guys. Sometimes the five-star guys, it takes them a while, like uh, Harris, Najee Harris from Alabama, five-star guy, number one back in the country, contributed, played well, contributed in the national championship game in, in 2018, but uh, the 2017 season. But it took him a while to become the dominant back that he was, and he ended up staying uh, through his senior year. And, shoot, by the time it was all said and done, he's great. So, you know, running back is another one of those interesting spots. And thank you, Bullheaded. Appreciate that um, question. I help consulting mailback rolls on. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. That is the email address that uh, you can reach. And we've got a bunch of those. <laughs> and I thank you. I love it. I love mailbag questions. Some days if I have too many, I'll, I'll just, I'll just do mailbag. And I think that, you know, allows the podcast to go in different ways. I don't have a co-host on this thing. So it's not like I'm bouncing ideas off anybody else. So I like to bounce ideas off you guys. Uh, so please keep these questions going. Dre says a couple of quick questions for you. I follow recruiting, but I've never learned exactly what the difference is between an official and unofficial visit. Is it as simple as accessibility to coaches or is there more to it? Now, unofficial visit, you have plenty of access to coaches. I mean, you, you, uh, you can hang out with them. You can do whatever. Um, they can work you out nowadays. Uh, I, I think that it, it, it's one of those things where it, 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 it's, it, it's a, you know, on an unofficial, you can get, you can see everything. The difference is, is that on official visits, the university can pay your travel, lodging, meals, all that. And on unofficial visits, you have to pay. Uh, for example, like, okay, so when recruits come in for games, the vast majority of those are unofficial visits. And so they set up a buffet, a meal for players and their families. And it's like five bucks. You know, you, you pay five and you get to eat. But you do have to pay. Um, it, it's it, They can't comp you. Uh, for anything on an unofficial visit, but official visit, you definitely can. And then you, you're limited. You can only take one official visit to a school. Um, and then you only get five if you're a recruit. So that those are the rules there. It's financial. Um, that's the big difference. And uh, I, I think one thing kids sometimes get, get off track on and, and parents and, mentors and things like that is they, they treat them like vacations. I got these five vacations I can go on on somebody else's dime and I'm going to take all five of them and go to schools. I have no business. I, I don't even care about. Um, and then I'm going to go to school, local school that I really want to go to unofficially and see what happens is whenever you're making a decision uh, you're giving those other schools an advantage because they get to roll out the red carpet for you. And local school, you know, they're making you pay $5 for the buffet. Uh, and so uh, that's the deal there. Um, and that's why I don't always agree with players who are like, well, it's right there down the road. I'm not going to make an official visit. South Carolina, uh, usually, you know, like I think Clowney said that. I think Mark Marcus Lattimore may have said that during the recruitment. Uh, maybe I think Jordan Birch said that during the recruitment nine times out of 10, that kid will, he'll, he'll, he'll go ahead and make an official visit. Um, even if you hear that during the recruiting process, but you know, if he doesn't, chances are you're not getting the kid. 
You know, that, that's just kind of what I've seen. Very rarely. Uh, I can maybe – I can't even think of a specific example where a kid did not take an official visit um, and, and took, what, five other ones and ended up at the, the, the local place. I'm sure there is one, and it, maybe it's not at South Carolina. Um, maybe maybe so. My, my memory is not as good on that. Uh, secondly, more out of curiosity and for fun, is there any type of service that tracks head-to-head recruiting battles, i.e. the record between USC and UNC, both offering a kid, for example? No, um, that's a good idea. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the problem is sometimes with that, if you're trying to count that, right, there's a lot of different information uh, in terms of who finishes second a lot. Uh, like I, I mentioned Marcus Lattimore, everybody thought it was South Carolina or Auburn and Auburn was in it. But by the time he made the decision, uh, and I've got this all, on good record, it was South Carolina, Penn State. Nobody knew that, did they? You would have marked that down as Carolina beating Auburn head-to-head on a player. Uh, now, you know, with like Jadevian Clowney, Alabama was obviously the second choice, though Clemson made a push and probably finished third at the end. Um, you know, Stephon Gilmore was obviously Alabama, you know, was number two. Uh, you know, with Jordan Birch, I don't know how you figure who number two is. Uh, would it have been LSU? Would it have been Georgia? Would it have been Clemson? I don't think it was Clemson. But, you know, Georgia felt good for a long time. LSU felt good for a long time. So how do you tell uh, when you're doing head-to-head there? Uh, so, so that would be my thing. I mean, you would have to really be 100% sure, and I think it would only apply to about 50% of all recruiting battles because a lot of times there just isn't a head-to-head. Or, or there are, you know, three teams that were in the mix – that you, you beat on a player, but, you know, you don't really have that number two because if he hadn't come to your place, he would have been wide open between the other three and any of them could have gotten him. You know, there was no differentiation. But that's a good question, Dre. I mean, that's a, that's a uh, as a recruiting industry, as we keep moving forward here, I, I would love to see something like that that tracked it. Uh, but I, I think they're just there would not be a it wouldn't be a hundred percent of all recruiting battles. And then what about the kids that you know you evaluate in camp and they commit right away, and you're their only big offer? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna sit there and say, "Well, South Carolina beat App State on this guy," and App State has like a O and twenty three record against the Gamecocks. Had to have me. Is that fair to that program? I don't know. Uh, but that's that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Good good stuff, Jerry. Good stuff. Keep keep emailing in. Um, Jared says, JC, enjoy the podcast thoroughly. I enjoy answering mailbag questions thoroughly and enjoy doing it. If the NCA is granting immediate transfer eligibility, should the schools that lose the player be granted an extra extra scholarship above and beyond the max signing count for the following recruiting class? For example. If a player transfers out of an SEC program, then let the team that the player left get a 26-man max recruiting class for the following year compared to 25. This will help level the playing field for lower-tier teams whose best players transfer to blue-chip programs. I'm with you. Uh, you know, I, I think they need to expand it to 30 regardless. Just do a catch-all and expand it to 30. Um that would be my initial thing. But you bring up a good point, though, Jared. It's like – because I don't think you could punish Alabama 
for a player wanting to transfer. It's like Henry Toa Toa from Tennessee. You know, Tennessee's getting investigated. Uh, the coach that recruited him there, Jeremy Pruitt, is gone. Uh, it's a new staff. Lots of other players are leaving. He's one of the best linebackers in the country. I don't blame Nick Saban for warning him. I don't blame him for going there. I don't think Alabama needs to be penalized for that. I mean, I, I think it's sort of – you don't penalize hard work and, and, and excellence, you know, so I don't think you take it away. But I would be in favor of, of that. You know, in other words, you know, South Carolina lost how many players to the portal – in the off season. I think that number may be maybe 10. If you count the guys that left before Beamer got there, at least five. Uh, and yeah, you let them make it up. I, I think the 25 rule is going to, is outdated anyway uh, with the immediate eligibility for transfers. I think, you know, the 85 is going to be a problem once this, you know, class, the class of 2020 ends up matriculate, you know, getting older, because uh, all those guys got – I mean, everybody got red shirts. So, I, I don't know how they're going to do it with 85. But uh, I think that the 25 is very limiting. And and I think the 25 also uh, doesn't serve the student athletes because there are guys in the portal that I think had it not been for the 25 rule would have more of an opportunity to go elsewhere than, than now where you have guys in the portal that have left – uh, FBS power five level programs. Uh, and they're not even going to play college football. You know, there goes the scholarship, there goes the everything. And most scholarships nowadays are, are guaranteed for four years. So it's not like they're getting run off. They just grass is greener and the grass isn't it's as Rodney Karen says, only to find out it's poison Ivy. But um, I, I, I think, I think that's an interesting deal. You lose one, you get one back. Um, and I and I don't think that if you gain one, you need to lose a scholarship. You're going to lose one anyway because you got – if you're counting initial ca- counters, they have to count towards some class. So uh, that that probably be a pretty good rule. You know, we lost this guy. Uh, let's, we get one more to give initially. Uh, so great question. Great idea. Great idea. Noah. I saw that Trey Adkins earned a scholarship this week. Yeah, I talked about that, which was awesome. What's the biggest role you think that he might have this upcoming season? I, I think, you know, like like I said, every time Adkins has played in a game, he's caught the football. He's only really gotten playing time two or three times. Uh, if he can catch it and run routes and, and be dependable, uh, more so than the other guys they've got, he'll play. Uh, I think regardless, he deserved the scholarship, but – uh, and I also caution you that just because a guy, you know, and because everybody's looking for who the receivers are going to be next year. So you see a guy get a scholarship, you're like, oh, he's going to start. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, they give guys scholarships that are backups or special teams players uh, all the time. Uh, but I, I think it's it's undeniable that when you look at Atkins' performance in games, when he's gotten a shot, he's he's caught the ball. So – uh, if he can do that this year, uh, better than the others, he'll, he'll play. And uh, I think he can he can make some things happen as a possession receiver. He's faster than people think. Um, he's tough. Good runs, good routes, good hands. Um, I think he's got a shot. And, and I said that in the the spring. People probably don't remember it, but I was like, well, if 
if the scholar, 13 scholarship guys can't play, then Atkins will take their job because he has been productive when he's been out there. Thanks, Noah, for that question. The lazy narrative of head coaches with coordinator experience. I'll give you two more examples of guys that have built programs. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Yeah, probably, probably the guru. You know, what he's done at Northwestern is amazing. Uh, I think last year he's one of his career record at Northwestern, something like 105 and 79, which is for that program. They're in the midst of the glory days. They've won two Big Ten West titles in three years uh, at Northwestern. That's great. And then P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan and Minnesota. Absolutely. Uh, you know, those are two more examples that, that you know, we – we mentioned Urban Meyer and Lou Holtz a lot, but you know, there's Fleck and Fitzgerald who had uh, the Gamecocks hired either one of those guys instead of um, Shane Beamer. Uh, people would be throwing parades in Columbia right now. So uh, I agree. I agree with you there. I, I just uh, never been a you know an and it's not even coordinator. It's offensive or defensive coordinator because he's been a special teams coordinator and a recruiting coordinator and an assistant head coach. And, and all those positions which arguably prepare you more to be a head coach uh, than calling ball plays. Um, and, you know, like Beamer himself said, there are guys that were great play callers that weren't good head coaches on both sides of the ball. And you've seen example examples of that through the years. Uh, you can't the, – the, the Steve – you know, there's not – Steve Spurrier is 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 uh, Steve Spurrier, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of guy. Nick Saban on – it's Nick Saban. You know, Nick, Nick Saban's cut from a – some of these guys are cut from a different cloth. But, you know, as you see and you have seen through the years, you know, it, you don't really know who's going to end up being a great head coach. Um, you know, I, I think that – when you look at Gary Patterson at TCU, he's a guy I've got a lot of respect for. I think he is a great head coach, and he's a defensive guy, defensive genius, really. He's, you know, had to reskin his offense a couple of times. Um, you know, so that's an example of a guy who gets it as, as a head coach and, and can make it happen. Um, and then you got, you know, Dabo Sweeney and Urban Meyer, who haven't been. Ed Orgeron has never been a coordinator, although he did have head coaching experience prior to uh, – linking up with uh, Les Miles and, and getting that job. You know, Tom Herman did not succeed as a head coach at Texas, although he won, just didn't win enough. Uh, great offensive mind, offensive coordinator. Who does, who'd have thought that? I would have never thought that. I would have never thought Chip Kelly would be struggling at UCLA or Scott Frost at Nebraska either. You know, I, I just, uh, you know, those guys were play callers, offensive guys. So, you know, it, it is somewhat of a crapshoot, and, and I'm not saying uh, that, you know, it's guaranteed that Shane Beamer will have all this success. Uh, I don't think anybody is guaranteed success at South Carolina. I, you know, I, I don't know that Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier did guarantee success. And, frankly, the first six years under Spurrier, I think people were wondering if, you know, the, the ceiling was seven or eight wins. It wasn't. <laughs> but I think people were wondering, you know, and, and, you know, you just, you just don't know, but I, I'll say this to, to dismiss it and to be concerned because, you know, there's no uh, offensive or defensive coordinator experience, I, I think is, is, is lazy. 
Um, I think that's uh, that's not a, you know a reason to rank Shane Beamer behind Jed Fish as far as a a higher goes, just because Jed's coordinated some not so good offenses over the years, and really he hadn't. If you look at him as a play caller, it's very mixed, very mixed bag. You know, so you're given a guy that has had a mixed bag of play calling experience who does have a good rep among, you know, quarterback coaches and stuff uh, who went to Arizona. Uh, you're giving that guy, you know, more credence or, or credibility than Shane Beamer. And I just, you know, I just don't think that's uh, – I think that's kind of, like you said, lazy. So that's the question there. Eric, final question here on the iHelp Consulting Inbox. Eric says, JC, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on secondary recruiting for 2022? With McClendon and Banks currently committed, how does that impact the guys we are willing to take? They're both listed as a safety, so they would still take Rose and Emanuore, who are listed at safety, or can any of those guys play corner? Always enjoyed the podcast. Banks is a um, is a guy that they got in as basically an athlete. You know, he could play corner or safety or nickel. Uh they like him. They don't know where to put him right now. They're going to get him here and, and see. Emanuare is uh, – they call it the big nickel. You know, he's 6'3", 210 right now. He's probably going to be 225, 230. Uh, and in this uh, in this defense, you know, sometimes that nickel, because it's a 4'25", is a hybrid linebacker type. Uh, probably similar to the spur, but – I say that and I pause because I, I don't want, you know, the Spur, Devontae Holloman, Darian Stewart, Antonio Allen, you know, those guys were big time playmakers in past defense. So, so I'm, I'm not sure. I say that because I'm not, I'm not quite sure, you know, looking at the the film from Western Kentucky, Clayton White scheme there, that this guy plays a little closer to the line of scrimmage um, and, and has a pass rushing. Uh, deal too. Of course, the spur pass rush sometimes. I, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see if it, it if it's exactly like that. But if you're looking for, you know, something from the past to sort of explain, that's what Emanuele. And so he's listed as an athlete too. Um, and then there 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 are some corners on the board. And okay, Nikki Martinez from Apopka, Florida's coming in. Keenan, Keenan Nelson Jr. is still coming in. Um, but I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I probably answered this some then. You know the numbers there are going to get tight, and and that's a tribute to Torian Gray, and the job he's done. You know because you do, you have a lot of interest and a lot of guys that want to come, um, and then you know you you got a lot of young defensive backs on campus too. I mean O'Donnell Fortune, Dominic Hill, Joey Hunter were freshmen last year. They're freshmen again this year because they all got a red shirt. Um, so there's three right there that you know are going to be with you for a while. Um, so there's not an unlimited amount. It's a need, I think, but it's not an un, there's not an unlimited amount of space there when you're you know right now when you're talking about defensive backs. Um, now I, I tend to think that everybody's sort of still there right now. Um, number one, because Shane Beamer's done a great job uh, making the players or, or, or setting up a situation where the players are enjoying playing for South Carolina and being part of the program. That's number one. But number two, I, I don't think that you, you come in and, and run guys off, uh, not in the situation that South Carolina was in last year or any other program with COVID and all that. You know, guys left on their own, and that's fine. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that you, you give everybody a clean slate and a chance. 
Uh, and then if there's some players that go through the year that aren't playing, that aren't happy, that want to go get in the portal or whatever, I think that's naturally what's going to happen. I think so. I think there will be some attrition, you know, this off season. Just you know, naturally, when you look at the numbers in a lot of these spots, some of these guys aren't going to be aren't going to play a whole lot. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so so there will probably be some more. My point is, there's probably going to be some more room at some point at certain spots, but right now those numbers are getting tight. So, and I'm not quite sure exactly. And I don't, I don't know that they figured this out yet or not across the board, who exactly they would definitely take and who not, you know, like Darko Perkins, McAllister, really good player, uh, good safety prospect out of Nashville. Well, they got McClendon uh, and they're probably getting him in war and, and they look like they're getting Rose back in the fold. You know, so at safety, where do you where do you kind of put these guys? And and like you mentioned, corner, you know, there's there's some corner spots that need to be filled. And so that's uh that's the deal there. But uh I, I think my prediction on this is Carolina's going to sign a really good class in the secondary. Uh there's gonna be some players they take that maybe you didn't expect, some players that they end up backing off of that maybe are highly rated. Uh, and and they're they're evaluating the guys they want because you, you just don't have unlimited numbers at, at that position because you you have to you have to backfill the D line this cycle. Uh, you need to take a handful of offensive linemen. You got a quarterback in this class. Uh, they need receivers, quality more than quantity right now. Uh, you want to get a running back because you know Kevin Harris could very well go pro after this year. Uh, and you need depth there because, you, you know, you, you lose Zaquandre White as well. I think, I think maybe Zaquandre has a red shirt. Or maybe last year was his red shirt. I don't know. Maybe Zaquandre has another year. I'm not positive. But, uh, you know, you, you need depth there. So, so there's other needs. You know, they'd like a tight end in this class. Hopefully it's Oscar Delp for, as far as they're concerned. But uh, so so you got to kind of spread this stuff out so you can't take like eight defensive backs, uh, and you can't take eight receivers either because of the number of guys you have there already. Um, but anyway, I hope that answers your question um, on Rose and Emin Warre specifically. So they uh, yeah, and they take Rose, they take both of those guys. Rose is sort of a freak of nature. I mean, and so is Emin Warre. You, you just don't turn guys like that down. So anyway, that is. The mailbag, the I Help Consulting mailbag for today. And thus, that is the uh, Inside the Gamecocks podcast for today. I'm JC Sherbert. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple, rate it five stars, write a little review if you have time. Uh, keep the questions coming in to the I Help Consulting mailbag. Uh, I think that uh, that's going really well. And again, you want to save uh, up to $48,000 a year in business expenses. Give Daniel a call, 843-372-5713, or text him, 843-372-5713. That's iHelp Consulting, proud sponsors of the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. It's Gamecock owned and operated, too, so you always want to support Gamecock businesses. J.C. Sherbert signing off for this Thursday. Hope all of you are well, and uh, we'll holla at you soon.